This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. Entries are now open for the 2021 English Select Yearling Sales Series. The series will again comprise five sales. Classic, Premier, Easter, Gold and the Hunter Thoroughbred Breeders Association May Yearling Sale to be held at Riverside in Sydney and Oaklands Junction in Melbourne. Each of the three primary sales, Classic, Premier and Easter, will retain their regular places on the sales calendar. Following its success this year, the Scone sales will be moved permanently to Riverside on May 2nd and May 3rd and will be rebranded the HTBA Yearling Sale. The Gull Sale in Melbourne will be held on May 16th. To discuss the placement of your yearlings, contact a member of the English Bloodstock team. At the time this podcast was recorded, Nash Rawilla was having a little break from race riding at the steward's pleasure, after having begun the new racing season in the same form as he finished the old one. In 2019-2020, he posted 103 New South Wales wins, 90 in the metropolitan area. The champion jockey made every post a winner during the old season, motivated by the frustration of having forfeited the previous 15 months of his professional career. In April 2018, Nash was found guilty by the Hong Kong Jockey Club stewards of having breached a local rule of racing which prohibits a jockey from accepting money or gifts in exchange for race tips. In most racing jurisdictions around the world, this issue rarely gets a mention. In Hong Kong, it's a serious offence. Nash, his wife Sarah and daughter Caitlin had to sit it out for five endless months while Hong Kong's ICAC division investigated all other aspects of the case. No other charges were laid and Nash was able to return to his native Melbourne to serve out his time. A six-weeks reprieve was granted to allow him to resume track work. He decided to spend the first week back in Sydney to assess whether or not he'd be able to pick up where he left off in a city that had given him three metropolitan premierships. He knew instantly he'd have strong support here and after a handful of race rides in Victoria, he headed back to the Harbour City in July of last year to start all over again. It's a delight to welcome Nash Rawilla to the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Nash. Oh, it's a pleasure, John. How are you? Good, thanks, mate. I'm intrigued by the fact that you returned to Sydney for your first week of track work. How did it play out? Did you just turn up near the trainer's hut one morning and offer your services for track work? Yeah, well, as you said, I got a six-week uh, six week um, reprieve to sort of come back and start riding track work and mm. – and unfortunately, the paperwork in Victoria didn't get through quick enough to start there um, at that time, so I had to wait a week. And I was just very fortunate because I didn't want to waste that that week. I, I felt I needed every bit of it to get my eye back in and, and get fit. And um, I, I, I rang uh, Mr. Van Gestel up here and, and, and asked if he would um, consider letting me come up for that first week, and, and he, he, he obliged, which was terrific. Mm. So I, I just jumped in the car and, and come up and um, I, I'd already secured Liam Pryor as my manager. So, oh, right. so mm. 
as soon as I knew I could do that, I, I got him to sort of chase a few trial rides up here, and 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 mm. basically on my second day back, I I kicked off at Newcastle Trials and rode a few for Chris Lees and Kim Moore, and um and well certainly I think I think I rode five on my first day back. That was on the Thursday, mm. and then and I was pretty sore Friday morning, and then <laughs> I've gone to gone and rode rode five before I headed off to Newcastle, and I got I got up to Newcastle. Pretty pretty sore. My body was aching a fair bit, and um, <laughs> I, I, my first two trial rides won, mm. and they were pretty sort of easy rides. And and the third one um, sort of sat back last, and I had to sort of start pushing along there before the corner. And he uh, he started to chime in there at the two hundred, and, and and got to within a length of him, and I sort of had to start pushing him hands and heels a bit stronger. And I got hit the front with fifty to go, and went to sit up and. I couldn't even feel my legs. I was would, I would dead. <laughs> I think jelly, jelly is the word. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And, uh, oh, dear me. Yeah, so I had a fair way to go, but, um, you know, the, I knew the, you know, that um, that competitiveness was still there because I, yeah. I've gone up there and won my first three rides back on, in a trial. So there you mm. go. But um, I, I certainly hadn't lost any passion for racing and um, it was just a terrific feeling to be back, I guess. And I sort of knew pretty early that, well, I'd, look at, at the end of at the end of the week. I think it was on the Sunday that next week. I, I, I rang my wife, and Sarah, and said, um, "Annie, I, I don't think I can come home. This is um, going a little bit too well." And and um, you know, to her credit, she she has always been a, a great supporter and always let me chase my dreams. And um, you know, she 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 was very supportive of that decision. And and um, yeah, so I ended up back up here. Yeah, yeah. Where it all, you know, where it all began. Nash, you've been to far more important race meetings than the one at Kembla Grange on the twenty fifth of July last year, but it's one you'll never forget. It was your first day back at the races after a long absence. You had six rides, and two of them won. The first winner was a two-year-old gelding called Escaped. And I'm sure the significance of that name didn't escape your notice. <laughs> yeah, no, well, it was it was a bit ironic that he it was, yeah. <laughs> was was called that, but um, mm. yeah, look, he was he was just um, you know I, I I've always ridden, ridden with success for dynamic syndications, and um, they were very keen to sort of try and give me a winner or two when I first come back and and help me out. Fortunately, the both their horses won up there. Um, Another one's, an, uh, I just can't think of his name, obviously. The Crew. The Crew. The Crew, um, yeah. He, he's, you know, the, the both band horses I've had success on for the rest of the season, so. Mm. It was a big day. Yeah, it was a big thrill. Like, you know, it really hit home when I come back on Escape and sort of. How much you'd missed you it. Know, well, yeah, of course, but even mm. when I, when you sort of come back to scale and just, just the look on Sarah's face and, the, you know, the tears mm. rolling down her eyes and. But, yeah, but yeah. just just the excitement, you know, the how happy she was. It, it meant a lot. You know? And a huge relief. Your daughter was there, Caitlin, and yep. I think your mum Elaine came up from Melbourne for the occasion. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, we had the whole family there. And, mm. um, uh, it was it was terrific. Well, the Everest Carnival rolled around pretty quickly after that first day back, and you snared a couple of lovely little wins. You won the inaugural Silver Eagle on the inevitable, possibly the smallest racehorse you've ever ridden, and you won the second Kosciuszko, Nash, on Handle the Truth. That was a lovely little kick along so so early. 
Yeah, definitely. Obviously, yeah, they were very important wins, you know, to sort of fitting back into that group one fold or, or you know, the things like that. And, um, yeah, actually, actually, John, this, this year I look like, well, definitely um, handle the truth. I'll be riding it again, so we get a chance to back it up again. So, mm. and Kosciuszko and, um, you know, they're both two very satisfying wins, but ones that sort of were very, really important for me come back to sort of put myself back in the fold. Mm. In, in such grand style. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, a few more months and the championships rolled around in March, April of this year. You grabbed a Group 1 when Dreamforce won the George Ryder, but you were hovering around the money in Group 1s for the following fortnight. You ran second in the Queen Elizabeth, third in the Derby, third in the Oaks, third in the Golden Slipper, and you won a couple of stakes races on that very good mare of Paddy Payne's, Rubasaki. Yeah, uh, I, I was. Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to get two big ones. Um, the Bastonian, I won the Canterbury um, stakes on him mm. as well. But um, yeah, those. I guess those placings were, were a little bit frustrating in some respects. But at the same time, you know, it was a sign that I was back and and getting. Sought after for the good rides, yes. and um, and certainly you know that that's a um, that gives me a good platform to work on for you know obviously coming into the spring now because um, yeah. a couple of those horses have come back and they've come back really well horses like Mamaragan and mm. we ran third in the Slipper and um, yeah. yeah so plenty to look forward to going forward. We'll talk about Mamaragan later. He's a very exciting prospect. Now, the influence of the Rowilla dynasty in Australian racing is very well known. Your dad, Keith, rode winners on the flat, but he was eminently successful over the jumps, and he also trained and drove harness horses. In fact, Nash, on more than one occasion, your dad rode a winner in the afternoon and drove a winner at the trots a few hours later. Yeah, he's always been a a real all-round horseman, Dad. He's sort of... He's not happy unless he's, um, you know, uh, got a little project on the side where he's where he's got a horse that he's trying to teach to do something, whether whether it be tricks or um, anything. It doesn't matter. But he's 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 always got a little side project to keep himself entertained, and um, mm. you know he's he's sort of so much so that you know he he's got a couple of horses in work now that he he's, he sort of trains a couple of gallopers and he still rides and work himself. And um, now just hold it there. He's He's got to be mid seventies. You say he's still riding track work. Yeah. Oh yeah. Goodness yeah. Me. He's, uh, look, he was basically riding a horse when he was eighteen months old, and I, I think he'll be um, still riding horses after he's eighty-one years old. Yeah. But, you know, he, he's, that's just where he, where he was meant to be on the back of a horse. Has anybody in the family had the audacity or the courage to suggest maybe he should give it away? Oh, mum has said many, many a times. Don't worry about that. <laughs> she's a game lady. Yeah, yeah she, she's. Uh, but um, look, I, I guess um, you know that, that's that's what gets him gets him out of bed and, and keeps him uh, interested. And, and you know, it's pretty hard to take that away from him. Yeah, your brother Brad is a brilliant Group One jockey. Nash, he's ridden some lovely horses. None more talented than Weekend Hustler who won 12 races, Brad rode him in 11 of them, including seven Group 1s. 
Gosh, he was a good horse, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, John. He was an amazing sort of miler, um, you know, sprinter miler. And they're they just so hard to come across a horse like him, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. We've sort of both been fortunate that we've had a couple throughout our careers, but, you know, you, you sort of thank your lucky stars that you're able to find find one and get that opportunity. And as soon as, as soon as it's all over, you, you you know, you're looking for the next one, but um, they're hard to find, John. Mm. Well, Brad made a lightning trip to Rose Hill one day, I remember, in 2009, and he won the Golden Slipper for the late Bruce McLaughlin on a horse called Feelin' Ready. Probably one of the best rides you'd ever see. He drew the outside gate. He wasn't tied down to any, any instructions. He, he just went out with his own plan that, depending on how he jumped, he, he had to find the fence. And if you're three wide and a slipper, get into the corner there, you know, you often end up 10 wide on the, on the turn, you know, as you straighten because you end up getting pushed off the track. So he felt his only chance to win was sort of to get to the fence and, and ride for luck. And it was amazing how he pulled it off. It was one of the best rides you'd ever seen in a group one race. Mm. Your brother Todd rode a few winners early on, but he got too big too quickly, and I think he's training now, isn't he, Todd? Yeah, well, Todd, I've got vivid memories of him when he was riding because he struggled a bit. He was he was tall. He's about six foot two or something, and um, hey. and he used to sort of really have to torture himself to to make the weights. And and um, you know, one one look just for me personally, I'll, I'll never forget sort of standing. Uh, sort of at the winning post there at Bendigo and, and watched him ride a winner there for um, Bonnie Bland, who was a local trainer at Bendigo at the time. Mm. Yeah, and that was sort of, like he rode, oh, I guess, 30 or 40 winners, but, but but not many around the provincials, mainly in the country. So mm. so that was um, that was a big thrill that day when he sort of won a, won a half-decent race at our home track at Bendigo. Yeah. Your sister Stacey wasn't going to let her brothers grab all of the glory, she rode about 100 winners but has swapped race riding for motherhood and she's got a six-month-old baby girl at the moment commanding all of her attention. Yeah, yeah, she's gorgeous too, little sinner. So um, unfortunately with this COVID thing, I don't haven't sort of had much of a chance to see her. I only, I only saw her when she was a few days old and again when she was a few weeks and, and unfortunately that's <laughs> the last time I've sort of been able to get back to see her. But, um, mm. yeah, she's she's growing quickly and... Um, you know, Stace is. Uh, it's great to see Stace um, doing so well. You know, she she's she's worked hard all her life, and and she's with a top bloke now, and um, mm. really thankful she's sort of doing so well. Does your mum have any racing background at all? It's well known that she was a nurse for much of her working life. Yeah, well, her father, the the Jeffrey side of the family, mum's side of the family, did have. Trotters um, back in the early days, I think in Castlemaine, they had some a bit of a, an interest in the trotters and things, but mm. um, not, not so much in, in thoroughbred racing. No, but I, I remember when when I was first learning to ride, Mum had actually she used to she they're, they're there for quite some time. She was leading me off a bike um, around the block. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, but then. Um, Sort of a couple of years on, I think she got a bit jealous of watching watching us kids sort of tear tearing around the paddock. So she she sort of started to learn to ride herself. So yeah, yeah. that was that was that was good fun. <laughs> you were originally apprenticed to your uncle Stuart Rewilla, who taught you all of the basics when you were very young. In fact, I think you'd go to the stables before school, after school, and on school holidays. Yeah, well, I, 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 it was a 
it's a bit of a funny story. I think I was just at the end of grade five. On the last day of school, a couple of friends of, and, uh, um, broke broke two windows in the in, in like these little windows in the parish centre, mm-hmm. thinking they were pretty clever. And anyway, I was even sillier because I, I was I think I was the last one to break one. Anyway, we got called into the principal's office, and <clears throat> I think they cost about five dollars to get replaced. Yeah. And mum mum pulled the principal aside and said, "Tell him it cost forty dollars and make him pay." Yeah, make him pay, and uh, when he comes home, I'll tell you he'll have to work over the school holidays to pay for it. So she was pretty, <laughs> pretty but, clever. You know, she didn't let me get away with it. I learned a good lesson. But from that time, I, I, I went and asked Uncle Stu for a job, and and basically that was it. I was at, at the track before school every morning, um, growing up, and after. Nash, we'll just take a break for a moment on the podcast to clear this commitment. Back with you in just a moment. New South Wales TAB punters, here is your chance to share in $1.3 million in prize money when the Kosciuszko is run at Royal Randwick on October the 17th. You could share in the ownership of one of the 14 runners in the world's richest race for country-trained horses. You're in the running if you purchase a $5 ticket via the Tab app or at your local TAB outlet or enter as many times as you like by purchasing multiple tickets. Ticket sales close on September the 7th and 14 winners will be drawn on September the 9th. If your name or the name of your syndicate is drawn, you'll then have the opportunity to select a horse to race in your entry. Then your negotiating skills will be put to the test as you endeavour to reach agreement with the owners regarding a prize money split. Bell Flyer won it in 2018, Handle the Truth won it last year. You could share in the ownership of the 2020 Kosciuszko winner when the big race is run at Randwick on October the 17th. Tickets are available right now via your Tab app or at your local TAB outlet. My special guest is Nash Rewilla. When you outrode your country claim, your indentures were transferred to John Sadler at Flemington and under his guidance you matured as a jockey and then you became a fully-fledged rider and you were hoping that one of the strongest stables would support you and you certainly found the right stable. Tony Noonan down at Mornington was very, very supportive. Yeah, he certainly was, John. He was – I remember sort of coming out of my time and I was – and I think it happens to every – you know, uh, young jockey, when they when they sort of that you, you get to the crossroads there where you, you lose a bit of sight of where your career is heading, and mm. and it's difficult unless you've got someone who can sort of take take you under their wing. It's it, it's it's a tough time that um, that crossover period. And I remember going in to see John one morning after track work in his office, and and I, I said, look, um, I've been approached by Tony Noonan to go in and do a bit of riding for him at Mornington, and I'm seriously considering it. I think it'd be a great opportunity. Mm. And he looked at me and said, um, mate, you'll starve down there. What did he say? You'll starve? You'll starve down there. Yeah, at <laughs> like, you know, because we were at Flemington at the time. And yeah. I looked him in the eye and I said, John, I'm bloody starving here. So <laughs> I haven't got... <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, basically, it just looked a too good an opportunity to pass up. At yeah. the time, Tony was... Really at a stable, it was going forward, and I was riding quite a few winners for him yeah. around the country and the old one in town. And um, really, that was that was what I needed to sort of give myself a, a bit of a refocus and um, 
and I've always enjoyed sort of working as a team, you know, um, and, and Tony was terrific. Uh, probably probably at that age, I lacked a fair bit of confidence and um, yeah. he, he really installed that into me and, and gave me confidence, if you know what I mean, yeah. going into a race. And, you know, there'd be times when Stephen King or Damien Oliver would ride one for us and it would have 53 kilos or 54 kilos, which I was a bit heavy to ride, and, and um, they'd win and, that you know put me back on them the next time which sort of you know that, that that's when you've got that sort of support you, you know that you're, you're with the bloke that deserves as much respect as what he's given you you linked up with brian mayfield smith when he returned to training after that much publicized two-year stint in south africa now brian recognized your talents and you reciprocated by winning a few nice races for him including two group ones in 2002, you won an Oakley plate on Sudurka and the Salinger Stakes down the straight on Rubitano. And I think at that stage of your career, Nash, he uh, he was a very important uh, person to run across, wasn't he, Brian? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he he was, uh, oh, well, I was going to say in the peak of his powers, but that, that's, you know, like he, he, was, he was just an unbelievable trainer. Um, mm. You know, once again, like, he installed. He, 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 Brian didn't say much. It's not did I, which probably suited him. But he, he he sort of installed a lot of confidence in me riding his horses. And um, look at one stage there. I, I, you know, probably over an eighteen month period, we're winning a group or listed race every week without fail. You know, yeah. there, there was just it was like Innovation Girl, and um, I could keep like rattling them off. But um, it, mm. it, yeah, just every week we'd, we'd win a group or listed race. And um, as you say, that was very important to my career and probably in some respects, you know, getting that sort of exposure and, you know, my strike rate was through the roof. Uh, it helped, was helped, very good helped, for you. Yeah, probably helped get a ride like Holstrom, mm. you know, at the end of the day, yeah. Brian Mayfield-Smith provided one very important milestone in your life. One day at Sandown in 2003, he puts you on a horse called Bird Dancer. You won the race by a big space and it just happened to be your 1,000th win. Very important uh, landmark. Yeah, my word. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like um, 17, 17 years, years ago. Years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like it was yesterday, to be honest. But, um, yeah. yeah, that was a great, great thrill, I guess, yeah. I mean, yeah, just, just to sort of reach that milestone and um, win another 1,000 since then. <laughs> oh, well, you've more than doubled that now. Now, Nash, you didn't get to ride Elvstrom until he was a four-year-old and then you rode him 16 times all up for six wins and apart from the Caulfield Cup, you also won an Underwood, a CF4, a Turnbull, a St George Stakes and the Group 1 Dubai Duty Free. That must have been a hell of a thrill. Yeah, it sure was. Um, I remember the first time I rode him, I think it was a, like, a race like the, uh, I think it was called the Zedibiff, probably 11 or 1200 metre race first up. And he didn't, he didn't, so he ran probably fourth or fifth, I think, but yeah. flashing home. Mm. And uh, no, he might have even ran third, John, actually. Mm. I think he ran third and really flashing home. And I thought this is, I was sort of coming back to scale thinking, if I'm not smarty, this might be the last time I ever ride this horse, you know, like, because there's going to be plenty of people wanting to ride him. And, uh, <laughs> The queue was forming immediately. Yeah, 100%. Um, mm. 
was, he just had a flashing light on him. And um, <clears throat> I just sort of come back and sort of really, because I've never sort of been one to really beg and whatever else, but um, yeah. I, I was very, you know, colourful. And that when I come back and I just said, look, this is this one, this is the best horse I've ever ridden. I, I, mm. You know, I just, I've got to stay on him, please. Um, Who'd you say that to, Tony Vassell? Uh, yeah, to look to Tony and uh, Frank Maduri and Frank mm. Tag and the whole crew, um, Gary Moffat. Yeah, they were all sort of there and that they were they were wrapped. That was good because they were wrapped. Um, yeah. The horse had ran well, come back good, and it wasn't like you. He was unlucky. He was he just the horse ran enormous, you know. And um, and anyway, I, I think whatever I said that day, it must have sort of you know weighed on their heart a little bit because mm. they 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 left they left me on him and they um, left you there for the sixteen runs, sent yep. you around the world because he took you on a wonderful journey. You rode him sure in did. Hong Kong, Nash. You rode him at Newbury and Royal Ascot in England. You rode him at Longchamp and St. Cloud in France. He didn't win any of those, but, boy, didn't you see a bit of the world. Yeah, and he didn't let us down in any of them, John. He, no. he, like, he, he placed in uh, he placed at Royal Ascot there and he placed in Longchamp and I think he ran fourth at St. Cloud. That was his last run. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I guess, I guess you know, one of the career highlights really apart from the Caulfield Cup, was um, the GY duty free as well. I mean, you know, to, to go and sort of ride overseas, um, you know, in a big group one like that and sort of fly on the Australian flag, I guess. And, and mm. Yeah, it was a just tremendous thrill, really. Nash, he, he was such a handsome, aristocratic, unforgettable horse. I bet you got a picture or two of Elvstrom hanging up somewhere. Yeah, I've got one sitting right in front of me now, John, where I'm talking, <laughs> but... Um, Look, he, 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 he was a horse that, you know, like Maccabi Diva on a couple of occasions come up to beat him and he'd just find that extra head to, to win the race. And, and that was that was what I loved about him, just his, how courageous he was. Yeah. Do you remember where you were and what you were doing the day you got a surprise phone call from the Gay Waterhouse stable in 2007? I'm not sure that Gay rang personally. I think her office manager may have rung you, Robin Hartney. Yeah, that's correct. Um, Is that right? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll never forget it. I, I sort of because I, I was out fishing um, just off Hastings. There, we we're trying to catch some some whiting, and mm. um, I was with a couple of good mates. And when the phone rang, I, I sort of was going to let it go through to the keeper because you know. <laughs> yeah, you had something nibbling on, on the line. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, Anyway, it's sort of. I think I let it ring out and then then rang back and it, yeah, it was Robin Hartney and um, at the time I think she was, she sort of rang to offer me a ride on uh, Bentley Biscuit in the one of the big group ones up here in Sydney and I didn't have much on the next week in Melbourne so it was a pretty easy decision but it was just amazing how, how it unfolded, John, because I, I came up here with a handful of rides and um, I think I had one on the Saturday Bentley Biscuit he won. Yeah. Uh, the, one of the group ones, I don't know whether it was a TJ or... Um... Yeah, it was, Nash. It was the TJ Smith. She decided to back him up a week later in the all-age stakes. You rode him again and you won again. And on that day, you made it a group one double when Maurice won the champagne stakes. And <laughs> had there been any doubts about you accepting the job, I think they were dispelled at that moment. Yeah, definitely, and and that, that was the thing. I, I at that time the carnival was sort of all within a week, and I, I, I think I won a I had two rides on the Thursday, and I won a group three on another one for Gay, and yeah, so sort of within that 
week I'd I'd ridden two group three group ones, sorry, and a, and a group three, and um, mm. it was just going to be well. I can't, you could just tell straight away it was going to be the biggest opportunity I'd oh, ever yeah. get, you know. And um, yeah, I just sort of grabbed it with both hands and 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 really went into went into a. I didn't do as much fishing once I got up here. That's for sure. <laughs> no, exactly. You had to give something up. Well, Nash Rewilla, let's analyse the incredible run you had with Gay Waterhouse, which took you to undreamed of achievements, including three Sydney Jockeys premierships. And one of the star performers of the era was Piero. 14 starts, 11 wins, two seconds, one third, 4.5 million. You rode him in 10 of his 11 wins, including four group ones. What was your favourite win on Piero? A slipper? Yeah, John, definitely the golden slipper. Yeah, that was, that was, um, I, I guess I'll never forget sort of driving to the right because he obviously, uh, Went out to win the size after, and and also um, I'll never forget Champagne Stakes Day. I, I was nervous for some reason. Oh yeah, yeah. I rang Dad. I rang Dad on the way to the race and I said, Geez, I, I just had a bad feeling about the whole thing." And um, not normally your style, is it? No, it's not. And uh, I guess just anyway, that's why I rang Dad. And um, what did he say? Yeah, he just said, "Don't be stupid." But he said, "If you didn't have a few <laughs> butterflies, you wouldn't be doing your job." But um, yeah. yeah, but look, he he. he um, he was an amazing horse, and you know, obviously, he was he was in a different league to him on um, in the in the um, champagne. He he just won in second gear, but and he was a horse, and that was over the mile. And he was a horse that I felt was going to be an even better two thousand meter horse. And um, you know, as he got older, so look, he, he was a real superstar. And 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 I guess you know, for for, for someone like myself, it was a shame that they sort of go to stud so early because you know you, you just knew he, over the next three years he. He, he was going to be me headline horse. Yes. Did you get a shock the day all too hard ran him down in the Caulfield Guineas? Oh, look, it's probably the most devastated I've ever left the races, John. Um, mm. Because his winning run had come to an end. Yeah, and it was just nothing went right for us. He he, he drew, he, he jumped a bit sticky from the gates and, you know, we've, we've ended up having to work up that hill there and, it, yeah, and then sort of something come around us three wide sort of 700 from home and put the pressure back on. And, yeah, it was just a nightmare. But, look, he uh, he didn't let us down. It was just, just sort of bad luck on the day that beat him and yeah. you know, probably one that got away. Yeah, and the, Nash, the winner too, is right up there with the best of them. All too hard. He was a super oh, horse. Oh, he was, no doubt about that. You know, they were two, mm-hmm. two amazing colts and um, take nothing away from him. But, yeah, it was just, just sort of I, I just, just knew sort of deep down that, had things worked out right for us, it could have been a different result. Mm. Well, what a wonderful association you had with Moore Joyous, winner of 21 races, 4.5 million, exactly the same prize money that Piero won. You rode her in 18 of her 21 wins, 18, including eight group ones. How do you win eight group ones on one horse? She had one... Yeah. Amazing treble in 2012. The Queen of the Turf, the Doncaster, and the Queen Elizabeth on the trot. Yeah, she was she was amazing, wasn't she? Um, I could I could tell you a good yarn if you if you got time, John. Um, mm. I won a first start on her pretty comfortably, and um, we went straight to the I think it was the Silver Slipper, a second run, and I've come out to the Mountain Yard and 
singer said, um, what do you think? Is she, how, how's she going to go? And um, I said, they can't beat it, John. She's, she's absolutely flying. Um, mm. I said, how much does a birdcage cost? And he said, oh, about a million dollars. And I said, have one of them on a The birdcage? Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> but, that is um, me. And she, she's, she's, she's jumped like a normal self out of the gates, lightning quick, and the saddle just slipped straight. The girth slipped straight up under her belly and she bucked for a furlong and a half. And Good. You never know, do you? Nah. <laughs> and, of course, we had to be retired from the race. And it was funny, as, as she was going along sort of as a bunk and bronco, basically um, there was no way no one in the world she was going to get me off because I knew if she if I come off, there was a chance she was going to kill herself, you know, like mm. she was, yeah. But anyway, I ended up getting her back under control and, unfortunately, Darren Beeman rode her for the next two starts, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Happily, you got back on. I did get back on, and <laughs> yeah. the rest the rest is history. She was yeah. just an amazing mare, and you know, I guess winning the Doncaster on her was, you know, one of one of my highlights of my career. Really, she she just deserved a race like that. And um, she, when she backed it up a week later and, and won the Queen Elizabeth, it was just yeah, just amazing. That was your second Doncaster, by the way. You'd won it two years earlier on Rangy Rangdo, which was one of Chris Waller's very early Group One winners. Yeah, there was a bit of a story behind that too, John, because um, after Thessio beat Rangi Rangdu in the lead-up race, which was a wait-for-age race um, at, at uh, Warwick Farm Group 1, I I can't remember whether I asked John, uh, Chris or he approached me, but certainly Rangi Rangdu was always going to be the, the horse you wanted to be on in the Doncaster at the weights. Mm. And at that time, Thessio was going to another race. And um, at the last minute, Gay decided that Thessio was going to run in the Doncaster. So mm. then there was a big court appeal and all sorts of things went on mm. for, for which horse I was going to ride. And um, I remember that made the headlines, didn't it? It, it, it did. And it sort of, mm. uh, you know, we ended up um, sticking sticking with Rangi and, and he uh, got the job done. He, he, was, he was a great horse. Yeah. You mentioned another one there, Thessio. What a great old horse. He won four Group 1s in the Star Thoroughbred Colours. He won the Randvet Stakes twice, uh, an LKS McKinnon, you rode him in these, and a Chipping Norton Stakes. He, he was a great old trier, wasn't he? Yeah, well, I think it must have been the Chipping Norton where he beat Rangi. Yeah. Um, he, was, he was a war horse, yeah. And and I guess I guess that's why that horse was so good to me. It, it was difficult when at the last minute he was going to run in the Doncaster, but you know that's a that's a different story. But um, yeah, look, he, he was he was he was a bit like Elstrom in that respect. He just he was he just had a heart as big as himself. He, mm. I think I won, you know, at least three of those Group Ones by a short half head, and he just refused to lose. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, he wasn't a champion, but that's what sort of uh, made him the horse he was. Mm. You know, he was certainly a champion to me. You had a lot of time for a New Zealand mare called Silent Achiever, trained by the very astute Roger James. Now, you won the big double at Rose Hill during the autumn carnival, the Randvet and the BMW. Yeah, she was a terrific mare and, and she was sort of, just sort of uh, before that, we're basically, Gay and I, not, we, look, I was still riding for her, but we, we'd gone our separate ways a little bit mm. and... Um, she was an important horse to me because you needed one to fill the void. Just, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So all of a sudden, when you're not um, getting the pick of 
of Gay Jad or, or whatever, um, you, you sort of you needed that little bit of a kick along, and, and she certainly did that. And uh, you know, when it were winning the BMW was really important, and mm. yeah, a couple of Group Ones there in a row, which was terrific. You won a Group One, the Caulfield Stakes, on a horse called Desperado, and you also ran second on him in an Australian Derby. Yeah, he, he, he was a he was a terrific horse. Um, I, I actually he he won the Caulfield Cup with Chrissy Munson, and um, after I won on him in the in the Caulfield Stakes, and um, I was very fortunate that. I um, was able to secure the ride back on him in the Melbourne Cup and it was just a shame because he, he, he pulled up sore in that race and, and sort of, you know, it was really disappointing because he, he, he really thought he could win and um, so that was that was a bit of bad luck but he was a, he was a terrific little horse and that, that day I won the Caulfield Stakes on him. That was, that was a great, great thrill. Mm. Mentioned the Melbourne Cup, which has so far eluded you. Not that you've had a million rides in it. I think the closest you've finished was on your old mate Elvstrom. He ran fourth, I think, in Maccabi Diva's second cup. Yeah, he ran terrific, John. Look, we had a lovely run. You know, I gave him a beautiful ride and the, the, there was a lot of rain in the lead-up to the race and I think the track, the track was probably closer to heavy or, or at least slow anyway. And um, I just think if we hadn't had that rain, he would have been very competitive or more competitive, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Not saying should have beat the great mare over thirty two hundred, but it just took that bit of gloss off him. And um, you know, there's a lot of timing and luck to win a Melbourne Cup. I've I've, I've had um, a few close calls where I've, I've been a chance of winning it. Um, another time, uh, a good horse from New Zealand that I was riding, Capstab Way, he was favourite for the Melbourne Cup, and I sort of watched me wait for about six weeks to ride him and fittest I've ever been and sort of yeah. had me wait in terrific order and rode him at 54 kilos and, and then um, the heavens opened up three hours before the race and just basically flooded the track. I went from a good to a, to a heavy track. and um, He was a dud in it. Yeah, and the, the mm. connections decided to scratch him. So, oh, gosh. Like, so that was, that was heartbreaking and... Um, I rode a horse called Delta Blues in the Caulfield Cup and ran third for the Japanese connections and um, Mr. Yoshida and and I come back and, and said you know you'll win the Melbourne Cup and I'd love to ride him and unfortunately they said no look we, we, we've already told um, told a Japan Japanese jockey he, yeah. he's got the ride in the Melbourne Cup and so you, I missed you out can't there remember his name either and neither could Johnny Letts Iwata. <laughs> oh, yeah, well done. Well yeah. done. Um, well, I was just too scared to say because I thought I'd probably get it wrong, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was his name, John. Um, yeah. And also, um, the other one that I really knew I could, I could, I, I could win was on Ferrante. Mm. I'd rode him in all his lead-up races, and just knew, I just knew he'd win it, and um, mm. lost the ride sort of a, a few weeks out before the race. So it was just, yeah, pretty devastating. Mm. Which horse but, was that, Nash? Ferrante. Oh, Fiorente, yeah. Yeah, you and, rode and look, him in, in, in a few races, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I, 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 I won, a, won, a, won on him and then um, I won a couple on him, John, and then he was a little bit – well, he, he was. He was he was unlucky in the uh, Turnbull. He missed a kick and I rode him quiet with, with the Melbourne Cup in mind. Mm. And, um, he, you know, it was just the best Melbourne Cup trial you'd ever see, but unfortunately mm. the few involved with the horse weren't happy and um, – I lost the ride, but 
I've, I've got to say that was out of that. I think it made me a lot stronger. Um, really, yeah. I ended up I ended up having the best carnival I've ever had in, in Melbourne. Mm. I think I won about four or five Group One races from the time they took me off him, and um, you know I won won the leading jockey at um, Flemington at the carnival. Yeah, and, yeah on mm. the Oaks, and um, I think I won on Red Tracer, and yeah, yeah. there was. Yeah, so that fired you up a bit. It did, yeah. And um, <laughs> winning a Melbourne Cup is something I, uh, you know, I, I won't feel comfortable retiring from the saddle until I do it. No, well, mate, don't keep going and just always remember this. I always uh, make mention of this fact to um, mature jockeys, Nash. Scobie yeah. Breasley was fifty years old when he won his first English Derby, and he won it again two years later. Yeah, gee. <laughs> he was a grandfather. Scobie was a grandfather when he rode his first English Derby winner. So Nash for Willa winning a Melbourne Cup is very much on the radar. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, just just because he, he's he's one of one of his kids had had a had a child. John doesn't mean he was at fifty two. He was her grandpa. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Unfairly I'm judged. A, I'm only seven years off that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, speaking about kids, there's a certain young jockey riding in Victoria currently whose career you follow very closely. Your son, who recently completed his first full season of race riding with 75 winners and a win in the Rising Stars series, which was the icing on the cake. He's been getting some very good reviews, Nash, all over Australia. Yeah, he has, John. Um He's he's done an amazing job. He Campbell. He's um, as a, as a kid, he was he was always a terrific sportsman, and um, you know he loved his footy and his cricket and whatever else. And when when we first come to Sydney, the the Sydney Swans sort of um, they have like a you know school for all these young kids coming through to to play footy, to you know heading towards this, you know playing for the Swans mm. in the VFL. And um, he was he was sort of chosen and. About thirty or forty kids to sort of do that, go through that um, academy, academy with them, and mm. uh, and he was he was good. He was only he was tiny, but yeah. he held his own. He was a strong little bugger and quick. And mm. um, so he had a choice to make: football well, or racing. Yeah, and I, look at the time. It was sort of around the time where we we, we got the opportunity to go to Hong Kong, and he, he probably it sort of got cut short for him, you know, and. No, it was probably a little bit unfair on him, but I think it was a blessing, John, because he he sort of he got over to Hong Kong there, and and I guess I guess one of the one of the great things about being there was that the kids were able to go out to the riding school where at Bees River, and every night after school, or, or you know most nights after school, and um, ride the horses, and um, they had some great teachers, you know, some really great horsemen there that sort of taught them a lot, you know, in the equine sense, not so much in a racing sense, but. Mm. Um, you know, the show jumping and dressage and uh, cross-country sort of riding and things like that. And uh, that added by the fact that he used to come to the track with me every morning and, and sort of uh, keep an eye on all the horses and tell me which ones I should be trying to get on and <laughs> ask it, asking the trainers if I, I, I yeah. could ride them. And, and it just he had such a, a great knowledge of the form there and he just gained a real passion for it and I, I don't think he was ever going to be anything else other than a jockey once once he sort of got that bug, you know. It was, um, yeah, I mean, and he, and he probably, look, he probably had that as a younger kid anyway, really, looking mm. back. But, yeah, that, that just took, that just made 
made him made him really get that fire in the belly and, and um he learned a lot there just just through you know talking to people and asking questions and you know he, he used to sit up in the stand there with john size most mornings and drive him mad i think but um yeah not to mention the genetic forces nash the, the yeah. racing blood coursing through his veins was very powerful yeah, absolutely, and and, and um, you know, I, I just get so much pleasure and excitement out of watching him. That's that's not oh. funny. It's you know hard to explain, really. But I was actually just riding in a trial there with um, Andrew Biddens the other day. He's he's young bloke, mm. rode his first winner there a couple of weeks ago, and we we're just both discussing the different level of excitement you get out of out of out of watching it. You know, it's uh, quite amazing. Now. For our punting listeners, Nash, you're riding a couple of really nice horses at the moment, or you will be when this rotten suspension is over. Now, Eduardo, a former Victorian, you've won a couple of good races on him recently, both on heavy ground, which he handles well, but you'd have to think he's going to be better on top of the ground, and you can't dismiss him from an Everest slot just on sheer potential. Look, he's he's, he's sort of, it's a, a... Funny, you know, a unique situation with the horse because he, he was sort of broken in late and got to the races late. You know, I think he was a late three-year-old when he had his first start, and he's only had the thirteen runs to date as a six-year-old or whatever he is. And um, I felt when I went on the other day, he's still sort of learning his craft. He really wanted to wait for him there in the straight, and it wasn't until they sort of got to within three quarters of the length of him that he really took off and, mm. and concentrated a bit. So there's definitely more there than what you saw his last run. And whether even sort of the application of um, some headgear just to help him focus right, focus a bit better mm. could get that extra couple of lengths out of him. And, and, and honestly, John, that, that that could be all that he needs to sort of put him right in, into that race, you know, with a mm. great shape. Mm. And a three-year-old called Mama Reagan, already placed in the Golden Slipper and the Sires Produce Stakes, and a terrific trial last Friday behind Farnham. You must have been thrilled with his trial. Yeah, I certainly was. Yeah, he's come back in great order. I rode him in his first ever jump out. I remember coming back and saying to John, you got something a little bit special here. Mm. And he obviously already knew it because he wouldn't have asked me to trial it otherwise, I don't think. And um, no. and it was it was sort of great to see him kick off his career with, the, with that Group 2 win and, and then... You know, I was fortunate I was, I was able to regain the ride in the slipper. You know, amazing performance to run third of his second start. Oh, yeah. And um, and on the worst part of the track on the day. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. I I, I've, I wouldn't have went there if I thought that, but, um, mm. you know. Um, in hindsight. But what are you going to do? You drew barrier one. Yeah. Uh, generally in the slipper, John, they, they all – get out in the middle of the track and something gets up inside and beats them all. So I, was, <laughs> yeah. I, I had a walk of it and I was, I was pretty confident it was all right where we were. But, um, yeah. but look, he, he's... Uh, highly promising. He is highly promising and he was pretty unlucky in the size when he, before he went out in the paddock. And, and John, hmm. who, who I've got to say, been outstanding to me since I've been back. He's, he's you know had the pleasure of working with him quite closely and he's an amazing trainer. The job he does with his horses is second to none, and um, and you know we've got a horse that now that's sort of come back with the good break, and um, he's ready to go right on with, and the Golden Rose is going to be a true race for him in the upcoming weeks. Nash, we've had a wonderful chat, mate, but we're out of time. It has been lovely, John. Thank you.
Thank you for making yourself available. I really appreciate it. Great to catch up. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis.